Hello, 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 everyone. This is Sneeka Steens, and I am the Mindful Coach, and this is Mind Your Business. Today, my special guest is Dave Coles. He is a songwriter, entrepreneur, successful business executive, and best-selling author. Over the past four decades, he has written over 120 songs and created 15 albums of soothing, relaxing instrumental piano music, including the popular standard Rachel song. And I have listened to it and it is very um, soothing and it's good to do mindfulness practice too. His music has been played millions of times on the radio, satellite and all internet streaming media. He is the author of the best-selling book, Touched by the Music. The book is about an inspired, some say anointed song. The man who wrote it is the successful music business. I'm sorry. The man who wrote it, the successful music business that grew from it, and the millions of people whose lives continue to be touched by Dave's peaceful music and his uplifting stories. Best-selling author Jack Canfield says this about Dave. Not only is he the composer of some of the most beautiful music he's ever heard, but he is a man of faith and has the heart of someone wanting to make a difference in the world. And he is a great storyteller and writer. In the book, Dave Combs brings to life his amazing journey through his own personal, captivating and inspiring stories. Dave grew up in Erin, a small town in East Tennessee. And now he and his wife, Linda, make their home in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and he is my guest today. So Dave, we've heard about who you are and what you do, but tell us why you do it. Well, you know, when you, and first of all, thank you for having me today. This, we're going to have a, a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to this. Yes, me too. I'm and, excited. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a, a part of the, the country in Upper East Tennessee. Now, you know, there's a lot of parts of the country that have their reputations for different different kinds of things. But East Tennessee, I think, is kind of known for its musicians that come out of there. You know, everybody knows about Dolly Parton. And, uh, you know, there's Tennessee Ernie Ford. He grew up right not far from me, but go all the way back. Even Davy Crockett was born about, you know, 15 miles from where I was born. Wow. So anyhow, uh, East Tennessee is a unique, wonderful place to, to be born and to, to be raised and grow up in. And one of the things that uh, I found in growing up in East Tennessee was that music is everywhere. I mean, their family members play music. My mother and father both played the piano. My grandmother Combs, she played the old pump organ and an, an instrument called the auto harp that the mother Maybell kind of made famous. And, and so there's lots of music. You know, I, my church was a big part of my growing up. I'm a, I grew up in a Baptist church and, you know, our family was Sunday morning. We were there Sunday night. We were there Wednesday night. We were there for prayer meeting. And so and music was always a big part of our church service. I love the choir music. Our ministers were always uh, supportive of music. And I love that. And so when that's in your blood and in everything around you, you just kind of it's part of you. And so as I grew up and went off to college I was a math major, physics minor, so I, I have a technical scientist background, as as you may discover from when you read my book and and talk to me. I'm a pretty analytical person. Sometimes my wife says I'm a little too analytical, but uh, be that as it may, I I like to I like science and math, and I always have. But I also love music. That was always part of my life. Even in college, I sang in the university choir, touring choir. And I directed my home church's choir. Uh, I needed some help in going through college. And our church needed a part-time minister of music at the time. And so they said, Dave, would you come and direct our choir on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and choir practice on Wednesday night? Sure. So and they paid me a little bit of money, just, but that was enough to, to help this poor boy out to get through, through college. And then when I started my career, at Western Electric in Winston-Salem, I was a computer programmer. And back in the day when uh, computers were as big as a room kind of thing, uh, but that was my beginning job. But at the same time, I, I took a job as a part-time minister of music at a local church where I live here. 
So music continued to be a part of my, my life. And I worked uh, with Western Electric. Uh, finally, when I finally left them, I had worked for them and AT&T as it became later, 22 and a half years. But all during that period, music was an increasingly important part of my life. And it was in 1981 that I sat down at my piano in the evening, as I usually did to relax, and started playing this tune. And it was kind of surreal. I did not sit down to write a song. I did not sit down and play something that I had sheet music. I just played. And this song, Tanika, that I played, it was a melody, a, a beautiful melody on the piano. I just played it from beginning to end. It all flowed together. It had a verse and a chorus, and it was just a beautiful piece of music. Well, I didn't think much about it because it was just something I was just doodling around playing. And a couple of days later, Linda, my wife, came home from work. She worked at the local bank and she came home and she said, Dave, uh, what is the name of this song that I've had stuck in my head all day long? And she hummed a little bit of it. And I said, well, it doesn't have a name. And she says, what? You play it on the piano all the time. I said, well, it's just something I guess I just made up. And so she got all excited and said, well, have you written it down? I said, no, I, I've got it up here in my mind. And, and she says, well, you know, you get, might, might get run over by a truck and then there the song would be gone, you know. <laughs> so, so I said, OK, I'll write it down. And I did and, and wrote down the melody and the chords that went along with it and stuck it in my piano bench. And I would play the song, you know, for her and for myself and for friends that would come over periodically. And then a couple of years later, some good friends of ours had a little baby girl. Her name was Rachel. And Linda and I were asked by her parents to be her godparents. And it was at her christening service that as we were sitting there in the service, was, uh, the, the formal part of the service was about over. And I looked at Linda and I said, what about playing that little song that I, I wrote a long time, a couple of years ago as part of this service? And so she thought, well, that's good. You know, we never could think of a name for it. It, did, it never had a name up to that point. And so I went up to the family and the, the minister and I said, uh, would it be OK? OK, <laughs> would it? I asked the minister and the family if it would be OK if I played this little tune on the beautiful piano that was sitting there in the front of the church. And so they said, of course, okay. And I walked over to the piano, sat down and started playing. And as I got into the song, I, I noticed that everybody seemed to be getting emotional, including me, you know, little tears coming down your cheeks. You know how, when you hear a song that really touches your heart, it really, it can be an emotional experience. So when I finished playing the song and the last notes of the song were still fading away, I looked up and there was little Rachel being held in the arms of her mother. And I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's Song in her honor. And Tanika, that's how it got its name. And it, it just was the perfect fit for that song. Well, I wondered about that because I saw that your wife's name was Linda. So unless it was her middle name, I was like, maybe it's not about her, but it's got to be some deep meaning behind this story of how this song got its name. And so thank you for sharing that with us. How old is Rachel now? Gosh, that was in 1981. So what would that be? Uh, 30, um, how old would that, 81 from 22 is? 30. 39, she'll be 39 this year. She's 38 right now. So that's, that's an amazing journey. And, you know, when she was a little girl, I, I remember her mom and dad said uh, she always when they, they play that song, she said, that's my song. That's my song. <laughs> Aww, that that, well, that song. is so beautiful. And it, it comes from a beautiful place. And music is so inspirational and it can touch hearts in so many ways and change lives. What do you feel that music um, has to do with communication? Well, I think it's it's a, a way of communicating that that basically crosses all cultural and language barriers. You know, my music is, for example, is all instrumental. So my music can be played in a in a country that doesn't even speak English. But I have found and from letters that I have gotten from people 
but they enjoy the music and it, it speaks to them in their language and in their feelings. And I think music is a way of connecting our feelings and our soul with, with, with the almighty, really. I think, you know, the Bible is full of examples of music being, you know, my, my namesake, David, King David, he played the harp, right? Yes. And I would, oh, I would love to know, I would love to know what he played and how he played it. Don't you know that that would have been beautiful? And so, you know, music and your religion and your soul and your being and communicating with people when you're singing in a, let's say you're singing in a choir, you're there with your choir mates that you are together making an absolutely beautiful sound and you're communicating that beauty to the, the audience, to your congregation or whoever you're singing it for. So it is a way of communicating, whether it's through words, the, the lyrics of the song or just the pure instrumental. I love organ and piano duets, for example, in church. Mm -hmm. I used to play the piano for my home church before I even directed the choir. Occasionally, they would let me play the piano and I would play with our organist. And I love to play organ piano duets because the sound it just spoke to me, and I know from just observing the congregation, it spoke to them too. It was a way of giving them some really deep inspiration and uh, deep religious feeling and yeah, thankfulness yeah. and all those good things. I know music does something to your soul. It gets down inside of you, and it it creates life and an energy that is unexplainable. And I just love that you have been rooted and grounded in it for so long. And then I, what keeps coming to me is, I don't know that you said this or not, but how did you, did you just teach yourself the piano or did you take lessons or was this just in you? Because sometimes things are just in people and they don't know where it comes from. We know where it comes from, but you know, <laughs> you come from a very musical background. But how did you first come to play the piano? Well, you know, even before I was probably even in school, my, my mother and father played the piano. And my father, rest his soul, he was a fabulous piano player by ear. He, he couldn't, he could read a little music, but he loved to sit down and just play. I mean, he was, he could tear that piano up. And, you know, so I grew up when, as soon as we, I guess I was about maybe four years old when we moved into our first house that, that we owned, we'd been renting up to that point. And that house was big enough to have a piano. One of the first purchases my mom and dad did was they went out and bought a piano. And so our house was full of piano music then from then on. And when my, when my daddy came home, he was probably heading straight to the piano and then we'd have to beg him to stop playing to come eat supper. I mean, it's uh, he loved to play the piano. So that part of it, I think when being around that, you know, he'd let me sit on his knee or on his lap, even when I was too small to sit at the piano myself. And I, he would teach me a little song to play. I can still play that first song that he taught me how to play. And so growing up, but yes, I did take some piano lessons. You know, after a while, you, you realize that, yeah, well, I probably need to learn how to read some music. So like most seven or eight year old kids that start some music lessons, I started my piano lessons and and I went through the typical lesson books, you know, book one and book two and book three and you know, practicing and all that. And so I did learn how to read music and began to play uh, you know, fairly well, at least enough to uh, almost play some hymns from the hymn book. But I was my most joy was to sit down and just to not look at music, but just play chords and and just my mama would call it banging around on the piano. <laughs> but, you know, I would love to just play uh, even some things like the old rock and roll music, like not like Jerry Lee Lewis and that fancy stuff. But, you know, you can do a C, A minor, F and G kind of chord progression and and sound really pretty, pretty good. So I enjoyed that. Now, I really uh, and, and this story is in my book. <laughs> it's a, I'm probably unique in that I learned how to play, really play hymns and play the piano on a ship in the bay of Tampa Bay in Florida. My father worked for Tra Tropicana Products, the orange juice company. 
And it was privately owned at that time by Anthony Rossi. He was the owner of the company. And he was a strong Christian man. He believed in lay ministry. And so his, his nephew, uh, Russell Riegler, and my father and I would go out to these ships that came into the harbor to bring oranges from Honduras. All the oranges aren't necessarily raised in Florida, so they would ship them in from Honduras. Well, the ships would come in, and on Sunday morning, Mr. Rossi said, those men on that ship, they need a church service. And so Russell and my dad and I, we would go out to this ship on Sunday morning, and and I would haul this, it was about a 60-pound portable pump organ. It folded up into a box. It came from World War II. It was one of those instruments they hauled out onto the battlefield, I think, and would play music out in the boonies in, in World War II. But anyway, it's a portable pump organ. We'd haul that thing. It took two of us to get it up on the ship, unfold it, set it up, and set up a, ta- you know, a chair for me to sit down. And I would play this pump organ. You pump it with your feet to get the air moving through the organ. It's, it's a, it's, it is a, a true organ that plays through air through the reeds. So I would play this pump organ. And my job was to play hymns for these, the crew members from Honduras. And my father would lead the singing. And Russell would give a little Bible lesson. That was the church service on Sunday morning. Well, this was during the summertime. And at the beginning of the summer, when we did this, I was struggling to play these hymns. But this was between my junior and senior, my, my sophomore and junior year of, college, of high school. And so in the summertime, when we were back home, my father was at work. I was at home with not much to do. It's hot in Florida in the summer. We didn't have air conditioning. So we're inside trying to stay cool. And so I practiced eight hours a day, five or six days a week while my father was at work. I'd play on the pump organ for a while and I'd get tired of that sound. I'd go over to the piano and I'd play for a while and then I'd go back to the pump organ. But I promise you, I, pl- I practiced probably seven or eight hours a day until by the end of that summer, I could play every hymn in the book. Wow. So I, I always kind of kid folks that I'm the only person alive that learned how to play the piano on a juice ship in the Tampa Bay of Florida. <laughs> Amen. Talk about meeting people where they are. And thank God for your dad saying that they need a church service and having a son that's obedient to learn. Where are you at? We need an organist right now at our church. <laughs> we, my family, we're the choir. And it's hilarious because when we got our church, um, we got appointed in November. And they hadn't really had service for two years. And so they didn't have a musician. And and we're like, okay, what do we do? So I I got my cousin to make us a CD with some music on it. And I was like, okay, we're going to have to be the choir. And so now it's funny because I love to sing. I'm not the singer. My husband, I told you, he comes from a a musical family. But he can sing. And he's the pastor. I'm associate pastor. But now we're the choir as well. And so I crack up because I go, we need a worship leader. We need a musician. And they just think we're great. And I was like, that's God. He'll meet you where you are. And if you do half of the work, he'll do the rest. That's right. So, you know, it is truly a blessing. So if you if you find yourself in Indiana, come on down and we have a piano and an organ in our church. So come on over and play. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do you get the most joy out of the piano or the organ or? Well, you know, now you can see behind me on uh, on this side is I don't know if you can see it or not. There's my I see it. Yeah. Timeway piano. And it is a beautiful Steinway B piano that I bought with one of my first purchases with my profits from my music back in 1991. Wow, that is beautiful. But it is a beautiful, wonderful sounding piano. And on the other side over here behind on my other shoulder is a Kurzweil synthesizer. And it's a keyboard as well, you know, 88 keys. And it has a piano sound, but it also has the organ sound and string sounds and everything else. And my wife and I love to sit down and she plays the piano and I'll play the synthesizer and we'll do our own little duets together. Or we'll put on some fun songs from the 60s, some doo-wop songs and play along with, you know, Unchained Melody or one of those beautiful old songs and, and just have a really good time playing music together. 
All right. That is awesome. So tell us about some of the venues you've played at. Well, now, first of all, I am mostly a composer. I write this, as Barry Manilow says, I write the song, but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. that song that he wrote. But anyway, I am the one that writes the songs, and Gary Prim is the wonderful piano player and artist that you hear playing on Rachel's song and all my other albums. Now, Gary is a fantastic piano player, keyboard player in Nashville, Tennessee. He is highly sought after as a session musician. When groups want to hear some really good piano music like Alan Jackson loves Gary Prim. He, he wants some piano music. He'll call Gary Prim to come and play in on his records. Yeah. But uh, I write the music primarily. And yes, I do. I'll play Rachel's song and a few other things. But uh, the one venue that I did play at one time, and this is a really funny story. I was sitting at my office at AT&T one day and the phone rings and it was the program director for KEZK radio in uh, in um, St. Louis, Missouri. And so I had no idea what he was calling about, but he says, Dave, I'm the program director here and we play your music on our radio station. They, our folks love Rachel's song. And he said, every year we do a concert, free concert for our listeners. And we give a, to do this concert, we ask our listeners to tell us who would you like to have come and play music for you? And he said that we do this contest. And he said, and so we've got five contest winners that we're inviting to, to St. Louis to play a big concert out in Booter Park, which if you've ever been to St. Louis, it's an outdoor venue that it, you know, it's just huge. And he said, we're expecting probably 25, 30,000 people to come to this free concert on a, on a Saturday. And so um, he said, I, he said, and you are one of the winners of this contest. I said, really? And he said, I said, well, who, who are the other four? And he said, well, there's uh, uh, the Letterman, there's the association, there's Don McLean, and there's George Benson and me. And I thought, whoa, boy, I am really in some, you know, in some really <laughs> nice uh, musicians here. I thought, I'm not sure I deserve this. But anyway, he said, well, yeah, we'll fly you out here and treat you like uh, red carpet and limos and all this kind of stuff. Wow. And I said, wow, okay. So to make a long story, not so long, is <laughs> I, my wife and I flew out there and, <clears throat> and we played I got to play Rachel's song for 25 plus thousand people. I promise you, I could not even, it was a sea of people. I couldn't even see the end of where the people were in this great big outdoor venue. I was the first on the program and the letterman followed me. And so, and after the, my performance, they had a nice autograph tent set up next to the stage. So I could go down there and meet my fans and sign autographs on my music. Did you even know you had fans like that? I had, well, I knew that a lot of people had bought my music. I had letters from lots of people all over the country. And when I announced this concert, I did send out an announcement to my fans that live within like 500 miles or so of, of St. Louis to say, you know, I'm going to be there on this Saturday. If you're in the area, come by and it's free and, and so forth. You know, I stood there and signed autographs that day. I was, that was about 11 o'clock in the morning when I finished. I signed autographs for about four hours until I was totally exhausted. I had people that had driven from Chicago all over the Midwest to come to St. Louis to see this and to hear my music. And they wanted their picture made with me, of course. They wanted to talk to me. And, and I was eating all this up. I love to talk to people. <laughs> so I stood there and shook hands and got my picture made and signed autographs for four hours. And the lettermen at their table, bless their hearts, they did the same thing. They were up next on the program and they came down. And so Linda and I, we were staying at the same hotel with the lettermen and we'd had breakfast with them that morning anyway. So we got to meet all the, 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 the lettermen guys. And uh, so they were right there and we were signing autographs right beside each other. And so we have kept up with the lettermen all these years. And uh, two years ago, we went down to Myrtle Beach to one of their concerts and got to see them again. And, well, oh, we had a great time reminiscing with them after the show. And, you know, they are they treat their fans like I, I want to as well. They will stay after a concert 
as long as anybody is there that wants to talk to them. I don't care how many hours it is. They're going to stand there and meet their fans and treat them like their, their family and their fans that they love that letterman. And I found that, that my fans apparently came to St. Louis and felt the same way about me. And I was so honored with that, but yes, that's the, that's the biggest stage I have ever played on. That'll probably never happen again, but <laughs> Hey, you <laughs> never know. Well, see, that's the thing. I tell my children this all the time. When you do things for God, he opens doors that will amaze you. Like, Whatever you can imagine, he does it 10 times bigger. And so just look at what you've accomplished and what you were able to do. And then to just think that I'm just going to send it to this parameter around St. Louis. But then you've got people coming from Chicago. And I'm telling you, that's just amazing. And it just goes to show when I say what venue you play in, you're like, oh, I just write the songs. No, your music is played in venues, <laughs> even if you're not the one playing it. That's but right. You are making movements that you probably aren't even aware of or weren't aware of until you got to that stage and seen all those people. And then how I know you had to have writer's cramp at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also got the worst sunburn I ever got in my oh, life. No. It, it was a blue sky, beautiful day, and I forgot to put any sunscreen and I forgot to wear a hat. And you can tell my <laughs> hairstyle is kind of lending its way to getting a little sunburn. So anyhow, but that was oh, but, but I you know, I love to play Rachel's song in church for offertories and preludes and and I do have piano music books for all of my printed uh, for my yes. original music. And so piano players can buy Rachel's songbook or the sheet music and they can play it. And a lot of people do. I mean, I've had, you know, there's probably tens of thousands of people who have the sheet music to Rachel's song and can play it as, as an offertory in church. Or it makes a beautiful organ piano duet uh, or just as a piano solo. It's just a, a wonderful piece of music. And Absolutely. To I was going to say, sorry, while you're talking about that, you have a beautiful website where people can get this information. So can you let them know there might be some composers out there that want to know more about your music and how to get that song? Because the song I listen to, I, I always meditate in the bathtub when that's my quiet, peaceful time. <laughs> and I was able to just sit back and relax and listen. Oh, it is so mesmerizing and so beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah, my website is uh, just very simply, it's Combs Music, C-O-M-B-S music.com. And like you said, when you go to my website, I've tried to keep it very, very simple. When you, when you get on my homepage, it's not busy like a lot of websites. On the left side is my new book. And on the right side is my CD of Rachel's song. And in the middle is a link that if you click on that, you can listen to Rachel's song in its yeah. entirety. Yeah. And then if you click on the links, it'll take you to where you can go explore more about it or go to Amazon and buy the music or go to Sheet Music Plus and download the Sheet Music instantly. I have 170 some songs on Sheet Music Plus that you can pay $4.99 a song and download the PDF and print it and start playing it right now. You don't have to go to any store and get it. It's going to be delivered right to your computer. So uh, I've, I've really have my music has evolved into from just my piano bench to get it out into the world. And now it's, it is literally in the entire world available instantly by the internet. Now there are people sitting at home right now that are musicians that probably think that I'm nobody. I'm not famous. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to get this out there. And they've, they've actually maybe taught themselves. They haven't had to, um, any lessons, but, Let's talk about your journey on how you got from just playing that piano to getting this music worldwide. What does that look like for someone that is is in a place that they want to be where you are someday, but feel like maybe they are just a regular person that can't do that? Well, first of all, if you have a gift like I had of Rachel's song, a gift of a piece of music, and I can tell you that ordinary people that are not professional songwriters can write beautiful music. I have another story in my book. It's kind of the, one of the end chapters of my book about a fellow named Jim, my friend named Jim and the song that he had written that uh, it's just a really heartwarming and touching story. But if you have a song or some music in you that is really special, first of all, you have to have faith in yourself and faith in God almighty that, that there's a purpose for this song and that then your job is to figure out 
the best way to expose the rest of the world to your music. Now, that may mean recording something like I did, going to Nashville, getting another professional musician to record it. Instead of me playing it simply, he, he made it really sound professional. And then you find ways, like I did, for example, I got my music played on the radio. Now, back in the 80s, true enough, we had easy listening radio stations that would play my kind of music. Those stations are kind of few and far between today. But you can still find that kind of thing on the Internet. But uh, we had easy listening radio stations all across the country, and there were probably about 400 of them. And I was able, with a lot of hard work and phone calls, I would call and talk to these program directors at these stations and tell them, I've got this song, Rachel's song, may I send you a copy? And if you like it, would you play it on your radio? Well, almost every easy listening station I ever sent it to loved the song. I can't think of a one that did not like Rachel's song. But then they would play it. And then I discovered, too, that there was another aspect to this that I didn't have to call all 400 of the radio stations because many of those were programmed by another company and it was called Bonneville Broadcasting and they, they, they basically did the programming and sent the music out to like 200 radio stations all at once. Well, I connected with Bonneville Broadcasting and their program director, he loved Rachel's song. Well, the next thing I know, my song, Rachel's song, he put it out. It's in 200 radio stations just like that. So that was a way of you, you learn how the business works, where the, where the paths are for success. And then, yeah, you find some things. Well, that didn't work. I won't do that again. And so you, you keep trying. And, but the main thing is to keep that vision in your mind and your, your trust that what you're doing is the right thing. And, and, and pray that God will direct you and direct your path and let you know exactly where you're supposed to be going. Amen. And keep, keep that in mind. And, you know, it's not a straight line necessarily. So don't expect that, uh, yeah, I've got this one song and next week I'm going to be famous. Uh, well, that's not the objective anyway, to be famous. The objective is to glorify God and, as you say, to serve him through your gifts and your abilities. And so my, my message is really just take it and take action and follow your your instincts and follow the lead of what you're led to by your your God. And and don't ever quit. Just keep keep going and good things will happen. Yeah. I'm sure people are watching right now going, you were famous as soon as you put that song out there. You, you didn't get one rejection, not one no. Everybody said yes, 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 and jumped right on it. And overnight success you were. Well, I wish that were the case. But when I first started, we had something back in the 80s called record stores. I think <laughs> there's probably two of them left in the whole country now. But that's where you went to buy records, vinyl records, and mm -hmm. gradually cassette tapes. And then it became CDs. But we, you go to the record store. Well, I knew that I, I would love to have had Rachel's song in the shelves there with all the other music in a record store. I could just see that. And so I, I would go knocking on the door of these stores and ask to speak to the manager. And, you know, they, <clears throat> I must, they must have looked at me like I had two heads or something. They, it was just uh, they didn't know me. They didn't know about anything about my music. And to be quite honest, they could have cared less about the music. It was all about what, well, which, uh, which big stage have you been on lately? And, you know, what's your big promotional thing? They, they were interested in the touring artists, you know, the Michael Jacksons and all the, the folks that were packing stadiums full of people selling music. So I, that was one of the places where I ran into a brick wall that said, no, that's not going to be the way you're going to sell your music. Not at all. But, you know, Tanika, what I, Linda and I did was we sat down and we asked ourselves, what does it take for people to buy my music? Number one, they have to hear it. That was the first premise. And they have to know about, there has to be a place where they can hear the music. Well, then I thought, well, where are the different places in the world that you can hear music and stuff. We made a, I can probably still find that piece of paper where we just were brainstorming and writing down all the places that you could hear music, grocery stores, elevators, uh, you know, any retail stores, any place that was playing and playing music, churches and that kind of thing. So we knew that it had to be heard. 
but we had never come up with the right place for it to be heard. Record stores, that was that didn't work. So now we got to think of something else. Well, I was working at AT&T in Bethesda, Maryland, and a lady that worked in the cubicle right behind me, uh, Leslie, she says, Dave, I have a friend that owns a gift shop, and I would love to give her one of your CDs of Rachel's song. Would that be okay? And I said, well, sure. So I gave her one of my CDs to give to her friend Jane that owned this gift shop in Old Town, Alexandria. The name of the store was America. She sold everything red, white, and blue. Anything patriotic, that's what she sold in her store. I think that her stores still exist around the country, some places. But Jane got a copy of my CD of Rachel's song. Well, later that week, I get a phone call from Jane, and she says, Dave, uh, let me introduce myself. I'm Jane that owns this America store, and uh, you ne we need to talk about you selling me some of your CDs that I can offer for my customers. She said, everybody comes into my shop, and they hear all the, the nice patriotic music, and then when your CD comes on, whoa, what a contrast to John Philip Sousa, and here's Dave Combs and Gary Prim and Rachel's song. So they all stop and come over to the counter and ask me, what is that song that you are playing and do you have it for sale? And she said, now, of course I don't. And, and I've got a, <laughs> she was a very smart business lady. She knew that when somebody wanted to, some, to buy something, she was going to figure out how to get it and sell it to them. So we breached an agreement that uh, I would bring her some CDs and cassette tapes of Rachel's song album. So that night, Linda and I boxed up a box of tapes and CDs, and we went down to Old Town Alexandria and gave them to Jane at her shop. And we thought, well, we'll see what happens here. Well, the week didn't even go finished out. Less than a week later, I get another phone call from Jane, and she says, Dave, all of those are gone. I need some more, and how about doubling the order this time? And so I, okay. So we boxed up some more, went down to Old Town, and dropped them off. We made that trip every week for well over a year. She sold thousands of cassette tapes and CDs of Rachel's song, just the one album in that one shop. She would play it and everybody in the store bought it and took it home. So that was the thing that the, the light bulb went off finally. And the, the message to me and Linda, like, well, now maybe this is the answer we've been seeking. So I made a little spreadsheet. Remember, I'm a computer person, so I'm a math major. and I, I, I analyze things. You know, I had... I had my MBA from Wake Forest, so I'm a business person. So I wanted to analyze this business model. So I took me a spreadsheet and I said, uh, okay, here's Jane's store. She has, I've sold her X number of, of product. It costs me this amount to, to purchase them. And here's uh, how much she's paying me for those. And the difference is my gross profit. And so the, that's the bottom line. It looked pretty good number. You know, after so many weeks of this, that's, She'd sold more tapes and CDs than anybody else in the world at that point. And <clears throat> so I said, well, Linda, what if we just found one gift shop like hers in a, every, every state? Surely we could find one, just one. So take another column of my spreadsheet and put column one times 50. Well, you add the numbers up at the bottom. Hmm, well, that number is looking pretty good. And then I said, okay, what if we just had five? gift shops in each state in the whole country, 250 total. Make another column with 250 and the bottom line there. And I said, Linda, come over here. Look at this number. This number is twice what I make at AT&T. <laughs> Whoa, I think we have found it. And, and that's so, when the degree kicked in. <laughs> the degree kicked in. I said, yes, this is it. This is it. And I've been, we've been wondering how to do this. And so now we knew. All we had to do was figure out how to replicate the little business model from the one little shop all over the whole country. And I got busy and it's a long story of how that was a long journey of how you find them. First of all, we did it by shoe leather on weekends. We'd go out to all these little tourist towns. We'd walk the street. I'd go up and down the sidewalk she'd, on one side. She'd go up and down the other and we'd listen for gift shops that played music. And sure enough, there were several that, that did. And I was like Johnny Appleseed. I, I had a bag full of CDs and tapes of Rachel's song and, and my business card. And I'd approach the owner of the shop and say, you know, I notice you're playing this beautiful music. Could, could, could I give you one of my albums and see what you think about it? And here's my card. If you, if you and your customers like it, give me a call. 
and I'd leave a, a, a cassette. And after the end of the weekend, we'd get back home. My answering machine at home more than likely have five or 10 this is so-and-so in whatever town and you stopped in today and I'd like to start carrying your music. So we grew from one little gift shop. Pretty soon I had 20. Next thing you know, I had 40. And then I started calling. I ran out of places I could go to. You know, you were kind of, you could only do so much shoe leather prospecting after you run out of territory. It takes you too long to get there. So I started calling and I ended up I bought the I bought the mail the mailing list for all the gift shops in the entire country. There was like seventy five thousand gift shops back then. They used the yellow pages. Some of your listeners will remember the old yellow pages, but you could buy a mailing list from the people that published the yellow pages. So I bought all the gift shops for the entire country. It came in a computer printout that was about oh, I'd say four inches thick, great big computer wide you know wide paper, in alphabetical order by town all the gift shops. It had their address, phone number, and so forth. So I, that's all I needed. So I started calling on weekends and I would call and call and call and just, I just say, I, I can still quote, to, I could, I did it in my sleep, I think. Do you, <laughs> do you sell any cassette tapes of the music you play in your store? And the answer would be, no, we don't play and sell music. And I'd say, well, thank you very much and hang up. 13 second phone call. Or they would say, well, we play music, but we don't sell it. And then I would launch into a, a, a sales of a pitch saying, well, have, have any of your customers ever asked you about the music you play? Well, yeah, we just haven't sold it. And I said, well, would you consider? And some of those would say, yeah, I, if you send me some information, we'd, we'd think about selling the music that we play for you. I do that. And then some, of course, very rarely at that point, this is 1988 time frame. Not that many shops played and sold music, but I found that I was having to make 30 phone calls to get one prospect. So now you talk about, this is another lesson for entrepreneurs that anybody in the entrepreneurial small business will know and can identify with this. You have to get used to hearing no but you don't take it as no, you're not any good or no, you're out, you're out of business. You just take it. Well, there's another one that won't work. And then you go on and you find another and then you, you eventually find a yes. Well, and there was a really great discovery that I made that helped me go from one in 30 to one in five answering. And what it was, was I discovered what I needed to call was tourist towns. Now you think about it. You've been in a lot of nice, pretty tourist towns. And these are little small towns out in the middle of nowhere usually. And every state has their little communities of tourist towns. And you go in there and the, the permanent population of these places like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and I forget the one in Indiana close to where you are, but there's some out there. I, I, I wish I, I should have looked that up before we started. But, you know, they're, they're little tourist places that the population that lives there is pretty small, but the, the number of people that come through there is huge. And so I figured I'm a mathematician. I'm a business person. I'm analytical. I said, okay, here's what I need to do. I have the printout that has every town in the country that has a gift shop in it. I went through and I counted how many gift shops in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, man, there's 75 gift shops. Man, what's the other piece of information I need to know how many people live in Gatlinburg? Well, I found a book over at the public library called the Marketing Atlas that had every place in the country and their population. So I bought me one of those books. So now I had how many people live in every little place. I put them in a spreadsheet, back in my spreadsheet again. And I saw I had the town, the name of the gift shop, how many gift shops and not the name of the gift, how many gift shops and how many people. And then the last column is you divide those two into each other. How many people per gift shop? And then I did that for all these gift shops. Now it took me a long time to, to look up all those numbers, manually count the gift shops. But when I finished, I could go for the state of Indiana and say, all right, sort these by that ratio. And I promise you that the gift shop, the tourist towns in Indiana were right at the top of the list. In Tennessee, it was all Gatlinburg, number one. Mm -hmm. And North Carolina, 
Blowing Rock, North Carolina, you know, all these places. I didn't even have to ever have been there. But suddenly I knew where the gift shops were or mostly were the tourist towns. Mm -hmm. started, started calling those only. And that's when my hit rate went from one in 30 to one in five and sometimes even a lot better than that. So that turned my marketing and my my business around. I went from those handful of gift shops eventually to over a thousand gift shops across the entire country playing and selling my music. Now, I know that was a long story, but for those no, of you <laughs> that that means the it's a long process. And that's what I want my uh, my audience and my viewers to understand that success does not happen overnight. It takes time, but you've got to be willing to do things that others aren't willing to do. You have to be willing to go places others aren't willing to go. And you've got to be able to be obedient and put the work in. Mm -hmm. Those are the, those <laughs> are what make people successful. Though That's the recipe for success. You became a marketer. You became an analyst. I mean, you became all of these things. You've already had a degree, but truthfully, your degree wasn't working for you until <laughs> you became an entrepreneur and then you put that degree to work. Now, am I correct? That is exactly right. You have to start connecting. It's really connecting a lot of dots. It's like they, uh, the, the catchphrase we all use today is thinking outside the box. Yes. You have to be creative in the way you think about things. And, and just because it's always been done one particular way, does not mean that it always has to be done that way. Yes, you are absolutely right. Now, I'm going to ask you this. You don't have to tell me yes, but they say ask not, and that's why you have not, but asking you shall receive. I'm just wondering, since you're sitting right there, you've got these beautiful instruments behind you, if you would be willing to play a few chords for us today. <laughs> Well, I would, but unfortunately, that's a green screen, and that uh, my piano is upstairs. Gotcha. I, I, and I, I would love to do that, but as you can see from the light over here on this side, there's some big windows over there. And if, <laughs> okay. if, you're, and if you're familiar with trying to do a Zoom call, your your lighting is so critical. If you get light in behind you, you just look terrible because the well, light blows it out, and well, so that doesn't work. This. If, if it's okay, do you mind if I play a little bit of Rachel's song? Oh, that would be wonderful. Okay, give me just yeah. a second. I want to go out here and get it. And see if I can... See, I'm not real savvy, but we'll see if I can make this happen. <laughs> I might be able to do it from my phone. It might be easier to do it that way. I should have, I should have uh, sent you the link to my YouTube video that plays Rachel's song that you could have shared the screen. Oh, and... that's what I can do. That's what I can do. Hang on. Let's see. Something. Uh, it's probably easier for me to do it from my phone. But Can you have me share my screen, possibly? Uh, maybe not. Let me see. I think I can. If, if you can get to YouTube and is in the search field, just put Rachel's song, Gary Prim. You should have a, a way to get it up. Sometimes my bandwidth is not good when I do that. So hang on a second. I'm going to do this from my phone and see if we can get it to come over. Just There we go. Okay. Oh, I got to turn it up. Can you hear it? I can. See, I'm just being relaxed right now. Yeah. I'm just really calm. <laughs> just take a deep breath. Just inhale and exhale and just relax. Yeah. So we will let that play softly in the background. 
I thank you, Dave, for being here today, for sharing your story, for sharing Rachel's song with us, for helping others understand that whatever you want in life or whatever your gift and purpose with, it will come to pass, but you've got to do something about it. You can't just sit around and do nothing with this gift that's festering inside of you. You got to get out and make things happen. When something is inside of you and you feel strong about it, there is nothing that can stop you or keep you from it if you take action. Would you like to leave us with any other words of wisdom before we jump off to here today? Well, I just hope and pray that uh, the music is able to be heard by a lot of ears that have never heard it, never heard it before, and that they will be really touched by the music the way most other people that I've heard from have been. In whatever circumstance they're in, whether they're in a joyful life situation or in one that is full of sorrow, you know, in the death of a loved one or the illness of a loved one. So the music can soothe the soul and bring you peace. I think the word I've heard most frequently from my fans is peace. It brings peace. And Lord knows we need more peace this day in this world. Yes. And uh, so and pray for the people in Ukraine. Those, those wonderful Definitely. people need deserve well, our Dave, Thank you. And thank Linda for lending you to us for this hour. We appreciate your time and we appreciate your gift. Continue to do what you do, touching the hearts of others and inspiring people across the world. We thank you so much and we applaud you for your service and for being a servant and being obedient in God. So God bless you in all your endeavors. Um, stay on with me while I close this out. But anyone that was listening today, I hope you have been inspired. I hope that whatever is going on within you, the gift that you have been purposed with, because there is a purpose and a plan for your life. It's in you. All you have to do is have faith and believe in yourself and know that the God that made you does not make mistakes. And so whatever he put inside of you, it will come to fruition. It will not turn to him void if you just are obedient and you ask him, pray, pray, and ask him to order your footsteps. And when you do that, you can't go wrong. And it won't happen overnight. But in due time, if you do not grow weary in your well-doing, you won't faint but you will grow wings and you'll be able to fly <laughs> and you can do great things. And remember in this life, you were created with a purpose. So go be great. Thank you for watching. I appreciate everyone that tuned in today. And if you watch it on the replay, leave a comment and let Dave know what inspired you most about this interview and about his songs and also go to music um, um combsmusic.com so you can download you the copy of that um song and also dave real quick tell us where to get your book when you go to my website you'll also see on the left a picture of the cover of my book and right below it will be a link that says purchase this right now from amazon so you can get the cd of rachel's song or downloads of rachel's song and the book both from amazon.com straight from my combsmusic.com website. That's the simplest way you can get there. Amen. All right, Dave. Thank you so much. I'm going to get us out of here. You have a great day and have a blessed rest of your week. Thank you, Tanika. It's been my pleasure.